Here's the big idea. If you miss everything, here's what you're going to be talking about in your small group. Here is our big idea. It's this. Great friendships don't just happen. They are intentionally built. Great friendships don't just happen. They are intentionally built. For you ballers, for any of you that are on other sports teams, even in your friendships, in your small groups, great friendships don't just happen. Great friendships are intentionally built. And tonight, we are going to look at what has become one of my favorite books. I used to hate it because there's no stories in it. But it's the book of Proverbs. And what Proverbs is, is Proverbs is a bunch of like God tweets before there was tweets, okay? So this is like God getting real creative. And he's speaking through this guy, Solomon, who is speaking to his son, trying to give him wisdom. Solomon was one of the wisest guys, the wise, second wisest guy who ever lived on planet Earth. And he decides to write some nuggets, some tweets, some good wisdom to his son so that his son might prosper. And here's what we're going to look at. We're going to look at seven things tonight, seven qualities that make a great friendship. And I want you to be asking yourself this question tonight. I want you to be asking yourself, am I this kind of friend? Am I this kind of friend? And do I have these kinds of friends? Because no matter what you're going through in your life, no matter what struggle you have, no matter what opportunity presents itself, no matter what relationship you're in, no matter what trial or circumstance you're in, you have two questions that you can ask, and they lead in very different paths. And the first question is this, how do I want to handle this, right? So you can ask yourself the question, how is it that I want to handle this? So somebody tweets something, or somebody Snapchats something, or somebody does something online, or, or they say something that just bothers me, you have two choices, You could either say, how do I want to handle this? Or a better question I'm going to propose is this. You could ask the question, God, how do you want me to handle this? God, how do you want me to handle this? And tonight, tonight, you could either continue navigating friendship the way that you just naturally would, whatever feels right in the moment, however you want to. Or tonight, you could take the wisdom of the God who created the universe I say, I'm going to start applying that to my friendship. I'm going to start being that kind of friend. I'm going to start being that kind of teammate. And I look for those kind of teammates and those kinds of friends. But first, let me start with a story. And some of you have heard this story, but some of you are new. And so I'm going to tell it anyways. In the fifth grade, in the fifth grade, a storm blew through Southern California by the name of El Nino. Anybody ever remember El Nino? El Nino was the coolest storm for me as a fifth grader because El Nino meant that school was canceled for an entire week, okay? Now, as a fifth grader, that's second to Jesus calling you home. You know what I mean? That's the best thing that could ever happen is your teachers say to you, hey, next week the school is going to be flooded. It's going to be crazy. We don't want you showing up to school at all. You don't have to be here. Stay home. And what is it about being a fifth grader when a teacher says to you, don't come to school that makes you want to go to school. You know what I mean? So I'm thinking, my, my friends and I were kind of talking and we're like, we're not supposed to be there. The school's flooding. There's tons of dirt, grass. And my buddy and I come up with this idea. It's actually Kevin, Adam, and me. There are three of us. And we come up with this idea that we're going to play the most epic game of football. It's going to be insane. There's going to be rain, lightning. We're going to be playing. It's going to be absolutely crazy. And so we decide, okay, in order to play football and in order to do it right, we got to get the right stuff on. And so I remember we grabbed these shorts and we put these shorts on and they were shorts that we had got from like playing some kind of soccer or something. They're the kind of shorts and maybe you guys have these where they fit you well, but then you could stretch them and fit a whole village. You know what I mean? Like you could fit your whole tribe into these shorts because they just stretch and they're, they're really great. And so I'm thinking, okay, we got our black shorts. This is great. And then we decide 
to get our like starch white shirts. You know what I mean? Like we, we go crazy. Well, I'm just trying here. We just go crazy white. And we're just thinking, man, we're, all the mud, it's going to be glorious. It's going to be like, like God's playground. It's just going to be perfect. And so we get to the school. We get to the school. And as we're beginning to play football, we're tackling each other. And, and we're throwing the football. We're going crazy. And it was so much fun. And we're screaming. And we're laughing. And mud's flying everywhere. And it's crazy, right? And then all of a sudden, all of a sudden, from over here in the corner, from over here in the corner, Mary, yard duty lady Mary. Anyone have a yard duty? You know what I'm talking about? We still have those ladies. Yard duty, yard duty lady Mary. She blows her whistle. Now, this was before I was a Christian. We called her Bloody Mary, okay? So she would, she would scream, she would blow this whistle, and she had little fangs that would come out when she would see children. And, and I was absolutely convinced, that I was absolutely convinced that she ate kids. That's what we believed about her. Like, we thought that's how she gets her nutrients, is by eating children. And so we were, we were over there playing. All of a sudden, Bloody Mary blows this this whistle. She blows this whistle. And, and you know that, you know that like when your mom like screams your middle name, you know what I mean? Or, or, or somebody says something and you just know you're in trouble. We're over here playing, having fun. All of a sudden we hear Bloody Mary's whistle. We wet our, we didn't wet ourselves, but we almost wet ourselves because we were so terrified and we see her begin to run. And I think she was an Olympian from chasing a lot of kids over decades of, of vampire life. And so, um, so all of a sudden, she's running after us. And the only way out is this fence that leads into a backyard. We'll jump over the fence. We'll go away. We'll scot-free, right? So we begin to run. Kevin's in front of us. Kevin was the cool guy, right? Kevin, every girl liked Kevin. Every girl I liked actually liked Kevin. And so I never got any girls because of Kevin. And I hate Kevin. And so Kevin, Kevin was in the front. He was the tall. He was a really tall kid. So he's probably five foot. And he was really strong. And he's amazing. He was an athlete. He had really blue eyes. I hated him. So I walk, I watched Kevin. And he runs over this fence and he grabs onto this fence and he jumps over it and he has this like this Olympic El Rio kind of moment you know what I mean where like he's just like soaring in the air and me and Adam are looking at him we're like Duh. and he lands on the other side and he's good Meanwhile, Bloody Mary, the blood from the last child is dripping from her teeth. And she, I hope she never watches this. And she's chasing. And all of a sudden, the person in front of me is Adam. And Adam was a shorter, stockier kid, but he had older brothers and they lifted weight. So he would do like the five pound thing. And so Adam, he comes running up to the fence and he has to kind of scurry over the fence, but he jumps over. He has his El Rio, like still fro frozen moment, lands on the other side. It's great. And then there's me. That's offensive. And so I go running. I go running up to the fence. And I was always really handsome and good looking, but not always as strong. And so I walk up to the fence and I begin to climb over it. And I kind of have to like scurry over it. I begin to climb over it. What you need to know about the fence is the fence was one of those kinds that had like a pole and then it had like the little forks at the top. You know what I mean? Okay. So I get up to the top of the fence. I'm looking back. Bloody Mary. You know, just raging the claws. She's ready. I'm scurrying up this fence and I, I jump over the fence and I begin to have my moment you know like that Adam and Kevin had I, have, I begin to have my moment and then all of a sudden something happens something happens you remember the shorts I was telling you about so all of a sudden these big shorts they catch on that fence and I'm sitting there and all of a sudden, I'm falling on the other side of the fence, but something is happening to me that did not happen to Adam and Kevin. And it was, my shorts began to rise, 
and the white glory that is my legs, just for a blessing to the whole world, just begins to shine. And all of a sudden, they're rising and they don't stop rising. And they're just rising and rising. And I'm going, Jesus, I wasn't a Christian. I was like, Jesus, if you're real, come back now. We'll work it out later, but this is not okay. And so I'm freaking out. And my friends are sitting right over there. I think at this point, Bloody Mary realized that was torture enough, so she went back into her cave. And I'm looking at my friends, and I'm sitting there, and I'm hanging on this fence. And guess what my friends do? What do good friends do? That's what bad friends do. That's what bad friends do. You don't want those kind of friends. My bad friends, they just look at me, and they just start laughing at me, right? They're just, they're just laughing, and I'm literally so exposed. You know what I mean? Like, like, nobody should ever see this. This is a curse. And now they're looking at me, and they're laughing at me, and they're just sitting there, just staring. And, and I think about that. I think about, I think about my relationships with those guys. That we would be really tight for a little while and then one day I showed up to school and I remember I thought this was a really cool idea. I shaved an E in the back of my head. Um, that's not a cool idea. So I shaved an E in the back of my head. And I remember thinking, um, this is going to be really cool. I showed up. I remember Kevin and Adam were two of the first guys to make fun of me. And Kevin already got all the girls, but, but he's one of the guys who just like makes fun of me. I remember I'd get in trouble with these guys. That, that we would do things that were just disgraceful. To, uh, and it's like we, we were friends. But it felt like when I'm hanging on a fence, they're not there to help me out. Or they're leading me down paths that aren't helpful. And I began to think about this idea that, you know, I, I think for a lot of us, we've maybe just fallen into the friendships that we have right now. But as Christians... As people who love Jesus, people who are on a journey discovering what it means to follow Jesus, we've been given specific instructions about how to be better friends. That we don't have to settle for being those kind of friends. And here's the thing, you guys, this is such an important topic for us to address tonight. Because your friends who don't know Jesus are looking at you and they're asking the question, is there anything different about their friendships because they follow Christ? And I want to ask you a question for those of you especially that are in this room that you've been following Jesus for a while. Is there anything different about the way you are a friend because you know Christ? Are there people in your lives who don't even know Jesus but they are better friends than you? That's a problem. And so tonight what we're going to look at is we're going to look at seven qualities that I think great friendships have. And I think this applies to your small group too. And so I want to challenge you. Maybe you're thinking about your small group right now and you're like, man, we're just not a really deep group. We're not really sharing a lot. We're not being really vulnerable. I wonder what it would look like if you applied these qualities. I wonder if you said, I'm going to become this kind of person that by the Holy Spirit living in me, I'm going to become this kind of person. I'm going to become this kind of friend because in the very beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And he created things in the book of Genesis over and over again. He goes, man, that's good. Dang, that's good. That's good. That's good. That's good. The first time God says something is not good was at the side of loneliness, was at the side of Adam, without a partner, without a friend. And so you were created for friendship. You were not created for loneliness. You were not created for shallowness. You were created for friendship. And so find me in Proverbs chapter 2, beginning in verse 1. We're going to throw them up on the screen, and you can follow along with your notes. But check this out. My son, if you accept my words and store up my commands within you. So this is King Solomon talking to his son. 
If you store up my commands within you, turning your ear to wisdom and applying your heart to understanding. Indeed, if you call out for insight and cry aloud for understanding, and if you look for it as for silver and search for it as for hidden treasure, then you will understand the fear of the Lord and find the knowledge of God. For the Lord, check this out, and this is your memory verse for the week. If you want to start memorizing scripture, this is the verse to memorize. For the Lord gives wisdom. From his mouth come knowledge and understanding. But notice that that doesn't happen without us searching for it. As we would search for gold or silver or something incredibly valuable for us. You see, wisdom doesn't just come innately. Wisdom doesn't just happen to us. Wisdom is something that we seek out, that God speaks to us, that God reveals to us. But it's a journey because you can ask one of two questions. How should I handle this? Or God, how do you want me to handle this? And when you, in all situations, including your friendships, God, how do you want me to handle this? That's the first step in discovering what is the wise path. What is the wise path? And so here are the seven qualities that make up a great friendship. First one is this. Great friends, if you're following along in your notes, you'll notice a little blank. Number one is this. Great friends are committed to each other. Great friends are committed to each other. Find me in Proverbs 18, verse 24. We're just going to blast these up on the screen for you. Proverbs 18, 24 says this. One who has unreliable friends soon comes to ruin. That's interesting. We're going to go back to that in a second. One who has unreliable friends soon comes to ruin. But there is a friend who sticks closer than a brother. You see... God, speaking through Solomon here, says there's a potential for you to have unreliable friends and your unreliable friends are going to jack up your life. That your unreliable friends are going to mess up what God wants to do in your life. That it is so important for you to have friends that are committed to each other. And you guys, I see this all the time. I see friends that are like besties, that are so close with each other. That meant every picture is of them two together and then one thing happens, one thing is said, a rumor is spread, whatever it may be, and all of a sudden these people sit on opposite side of the rooms, they want nothing to do with each other, they gossip about each other, they tear each other down, and I'm going, that's not the kind of friendship that God intended us to be a part of. That God wired us for the kind of friendships where we are actually committed to each other. And some of you may go, well, you know, in my small group that I'm a part of, I don't really know very many of them. The very first life group that my wife Sarah and I were ever a part of, were ever a part of, was our first year of marriage. And I remember we got invited to be a part of this group. And, and we went and we sat down and honestly we sat around that room and we said we have nothing in common with all of these people. That they were different than us. They came from different backgrounds. They went to different schools. They had different upbringings. They even had a different sense of humor, different personality. And we just said we have nothing in common with these people. But Sarah and I that night, we said, you know what? We're going to make a commitment because we think this is good for us. We think being in a Christian community is really important for our lives. And this is not just something for you in high school, but our hope is that as you graduate high school, you continue to live in a small group. You continue to live life in community for as long as the Lord gives you. And so we made a commitment. We said, we're going to commit to these people. And guess what happened? Those people became our best friends. Then we moved out here. And after being a high school pastor here for a year, both Sarah and I were like, we, we need to start a life group. We need to be, become a part of a community. 
And so we asked some people that, that we were kind of like friends with, that we were mildly friends with, that we kind of knew. We didn't know it like a deep level, but we invited these people to be a part of this community. And you know what's been so cool? They've become our best friends. You see, some of you think, well, well, if I didn't go to junior high with them, I can't be friends with them. That if we don't have this history together, well, we can't be friends. What I think is awesome is God in each stage of your life wants to give you friends. Wants to give you people that you can commit to, that you can invest in. And you'll be surprised because it was as a 27-year-old, 26-year-old, that I made some new best friends. And it was because Sarah and I said, you know what, these are going to be the people that we are committed to. Big idea number two is this. Great friends are trustworthy. Great friends are trustworthy. And again, I want you to be thinking about, are you this kind of friend? Like, are, are you the kind of person that's committed? Are you the kind of person that's ride or die? You know what I mean? That says, man, I'm in this for the long haul with you. And you may make some mistakes and you may be an idiot, but I love you and I'm committed to you. Are you that kind of friend? And secondly, are, are you trustworthy? Because, man, you may be committed all day long, but if you're not trustworthy, that friendship is not going anywhere. Check out what Proverbs eleven thirteen says. Gossips betray confidence. Gossips betray confidence, but a trustworthy peace person keeps a secret. Here's what I've discovered about gossip. I think it's Satan's favorite poison. I think it's Satan's go-to method to divide people, to divide community. Because what gossip does is gossip takes what was shared in intimacy and in secrecy and that was shared in a, in a way to build a relationship and it totally destroys that, totally disconnects that. And all of a sudden people begin to find out about things that they were never intended to know because we weren't being trustworthy. You see, I think gossip is, is Satan's favorite poison. Here's the thing about gossip. Gossip builds a relationship really quickly, right? You may not know somebody really well, but all of a sudden they start telling you some secrets about somebody else. You initially feel really connected to them. You, you feel this bond. You feel this connection with them. But here's the thing about gossip. Gossip will build something quickly, but it will always crumble. The gossip will build something, will build a relationship quickly, but it will always crumble. Trustworthiness actually builds a relationship slowly, but it lasts. Are you the kind of person that unless a friend is sharing with you about hurting themselves or hurting somebody else, and unless you need to get another adult leader involved, that if somebody tells you something they're struggling with, are you the kind of person who can keep that? And who can say, I recognize that that was a gift. You see, when somebody in your small group opens up and shares something with you that's so private, shares something that maybe they haven't shared with anyone else, do you recognize that they're giving you a gift? That they're telling you something that is so precious. And if you go and share that with somebody else, that you're, you're destroying that present. That, that you're, you're, you're saying, I don't really care about that gift. Are you that kind of friend? Are you in that kind of small group? Where you are trustworthy, where when people tell you things, you say, you know what? Unless it's hurting you or somebody else or I need to get another adult leader involved, I'm going to keep that. And I'm going to pray for you and I'm going to follow up with you about that. Are you that kind of leader? Are you that kind of friend? Can you imagine in our world, just think about, think about how much gossip you hear every day. Think about how much gossip is shared. 
What if you said, no, I'm not going to be that kind of person. I'm going to be the kind of person that, that holds secrets in and that is trustworthy. I think your friends would notice that and go, there is something different about that person. It's because you're trustworthy. Number three is this. Great friends address conflict, not avoid it. Great friends address conflict, not avoid it. Here's our scripture, Proverbs 27, 6 says this. Wounds from a friend can be trusted, but an enemy multiplies kisses. This is so good. An enemy will come up to you and just say, oh, everything's great, everything's great, everything's great. And then all of a sudden they go back and they tell some stuff that you clearly know everything's not great. But a true friend, a true friend is willing to wound you in a loving way. A, a true friend is willing to say, hey, we need to talk about what you said. Because what you said hurt me and affected me. We need to have a conversation about that. You see, I, I think great friends master the art of addressing issues instead of avoiding them. And I promise you, you're going to have conflict the rest of your life. That in every year of your life, you are going to have conflict with people. And you have two options. And I think leaders do this. And I think great friends do this. You have two options. You can either avoid conflict. Or you can choose to address it. And here's the danger of avoiding it. If you choose to avoid it, you will miss out on any kind of reconciliation. You will miss out on, on being unified again. That some of you maybe are in your small groups and there's a conflict between you and another person and your plan is to just go four years without addressing that conflict? Do you know what you're going to miss out on? Do you know, you know how, how much damage that's going to bring to the, whole, to the whole group? Everyone loses. Everyone loses when we choose to avoid conflict instead of addressing it. But addressing it... Addressing it in a way that's loving is so important. And we've talked about this before. Matthew 18, if you want to write it in your notes. Matthew 18, Jesus gives a really clear idea of how it is that we're supposed to address conflict. And you know what his step one is this. It's, it's novel. It's crazy. It's like, it's like revolutionary. Here's Jesus' first idea. If you have conflict with somebody else, Jesus says this profound statement. Go and talk to them. He says go and talk to them. Do you ever feel like maybe a friend finally comes to you or a whole herd of friends comes up to you and you can recognize that they're about to drop a bomb on you, that you've done something that's hurt him and they come up to you and they're like, you know, I was talking with her and then we were talking with her and then I called my friend and then we snapped about it and then we instantly, and then this happened and, and, and now we want to talk to you. And it's a whole herd of people and all of a sudden you're going, where was the initial conversation? Like, why, why couldn't we just have had a one-on-one, -on -one, why did it have to be a gang up? You see, I think, I think great friends are willing to recognize that there's going to be conflict, even on the team, that even in your small group, that even with somebody you've been best friends with your whole life, that there will be conflict. And you can either avoid it and lose that relationship, or you can choose to address it. You can choose to address it. Number four is this. Great friends make each other better. Great friends make each other better. I love this passage, Proverbs 27, 17. These are all such good tweets. As iron sharpens iron, so one person sharpens another. I have a question for you, and I hope this doesn't offend you, but here's the question. Do you raise or lower the value of the friendships you're in? Like by you being in that friendship, do you raise the value of that friendship or do you lower it? Are you the kind of person that you step into a relationship, a friendship with somebody, 
and say, man, I want to figure out how I can help this person be better. I want to figure out how I can sharpen this person and how this person can sharpen me. Do you have those kinds of friendships? Or are you in the kind of friendships where maybe you just say things that that you think they want to hear and they tell you things that they want to hear and no one's ever really telling exactly what's going on? You see, biblical friendships, great friendships, have this really beautiful component where a year later you look back and you go, because we're friends, we're better off. That you look at that buddy and you go, man, because we're in each other's lives, like you make me better. Are you in friendships where you're reading the word together? Where you're opening the scriptures together? I mean, wouldn't this be so crazy if what if you guys got together like, like on the weekend, not in a small group, but you got together and you said, man, we're going to like just open God's word and read it together and see what it would mean for our lives. Are you the kind of friend that, that you know how your buddy is tempted and you are active to text them? You know that, man, hey, there's this party coming up on Friday night. I know they're struggling. I know they're going to be tempted to go. I know it's not good for them. Are you the friend that on Friday night says, hey, you should come to my house and hang out? Lastly, are you the kind of friend that challenges your other friend? Do you step into the relationship and when you see them making a decision that you know is horrible, you know is destroying them, are you a great friend in a way where you go, hey, I got to be straight with you. That thing you're doing is horrible for you. Like that's going to jack up your life. Are you that kind of friend that makes each other better? Two more. Three more. Number five, great friends use their words wisely. Proverbs 12, 18 says this, The words of the reckless pierce like swords, but the tongue of the wise brings healing. Our words are really powerful, right? How was it that God created the world? Through his words. Right? It was God, God spoke creation into existence. And you all know this. If I were to ask you, hey, think of a time... When somebody said something to you that really hurt your feelings, I don't think it would take you very long to think about it. I think you could recall maybe pretty quickly that thing that that teacher said to you, that parent or that former boyfriend or girlfriend or that friend at school or that teammate. That, that, that thing's just kind of buried in there, man. It's, it's hard to get that out because words are powerful. God created our words to be powerful. And you can choose to be reckless with your words. Or instead, you can recognize that your words could actually bring healing. I want to give you two tips in your friendships. Do not say these words. Never and always. It's so simple, so practical. Do not use these words. Never and always. Sarah and I struggle as we talk about it in our marriage. You know, we'll be like, we're like you never. And it's like... No, that's not true. That's not true. You can't say that. Or you always, and it's like, no, no, that's, that's not the case. That's, that's a total exaggeration. And all that does is destroy the relationship. All that does is say, hey, you know what? You're always going to be like this, or you're never going to be like that, so I don't want to be in a relationship with you. So try to avoid those words. And when somebody hurts you or when somebody offends you, choose to use your words and say, hey, when that happened, when you said that, this is how I felt. Do not say you always say that about me or you never do that. No, no, avoid that, avoid that. But really get to the issue and choose to use your words wisely. I want to say this too. Some of you need to be more generous with your words. Some of you are reckless with your words. 
And you need to tame it in a little bit. But some of you need to be more generous with your words. There's some of you who the people around you are loving you and caring for you. Or you've got these small group leaders who every week show up and you've never once said thank you to them. You never once said, man, this is incredible that you do this. You could be Netflix binging any show and yet you choose on a Wednesday night to come and hang out with me. Or you've got friends around you who, who do something great for you. You've got parents. Like your parents wiped your butts, okay? Like your parents take care of you. Or whoever you live with, like at some level, the people that you live with are serving you and are caring for you. And they don't have to do that, but they do it because they love you. And we need to be people who are generous with our words, who recognize how God has taken care of us through the people in our lives and to thank them. Two more, two more. Number six, great friends forgive and rebuild. Great friends forgive and rebuild. Proverbs 17, 9. Whoever would foster love covers over an offense, but whoever repeats the matter separates close friends. Great friends forgive and rebuild. I remember I've told some of you this story before, but you'll just have to indulge me. It was early. It was our first year of marriage, and Sarah and I were in a fight. And I can't remember what the fight was over, but it felt like a real big deal. And I remember we, we lived in this really small apartment. I called it the dungeon because it was just like so dark and depressing. And, and it, we had a really small bathroom and we had one sink. And so I remember we're sitting there and we're, we're like brushing our teeth and we're like elbowing each other. You know what I mean? Like we're just like so frustrated because there was this built up anger and this, this resentment and whatever. And so we're just kind of frustrated. And then I remember we, we go and we jump in bed and I, I remember I like, I like stole her pillow. You know what I mean? I was like, girl's not getting any pillow tonight. So I steal her pillow and, and I remember I, we, we kind of get under the covers and, and we turn our backs to each other and because I'm stronger than she is, um, I kind of grab the covers and I just kind of like yank them. You know what I mean? So she's like sitting there shivering. I'm like, deal with it. And so I'm sitting there and I, I got these blankets and I'm just angry, just frustrated, just pissed off at whatever it was. And then I prayed, and that's the stupidest thing you could do in that moment. I prayed, and I said, God, tell her she's wrong. <laughs> like, convince her that she is a sinner, because that's, what, that's what's going on here. She needs to know, Lord. Tell her she's wrong. And I felt like God said this to me. I felt like God said, tell her that you love her. I was like, heck no, I'm not telling her. I love her right now. Absolutely not. God, tell her she's wrong. And I'm sitting there with all the sheets and she's trying to kick my back. And, and I felt like God said, tell her you love her. So I remember like after a minute, I was like, you suck. I mean, not really. Don't say that about God. But you, you're, you're not cool right now. So I kind of like roll over and I look at her and I go, Sarah, I love you. Yeah. It's my bae right there. Seven years. So I'm like, I'm like, Bay, before there was Bay, I love you. And, and I'm sorry. And then quickly God was like, you were the idiot the whole time. It wasn't her. And so I sit there and I, we kind of apologize. And you know what happened? In that moment, she forgave me. In that moment, we were, begin, we were able to rebuild our relationship. You, you can't demand that somebody forgive you. But you can always apologize. So who, who in your life right now do you owe an apology to? And you don't go up to him and you say, hey, I'm so sorry about this. Do you forgive me? Do you forgive me? No, you can't force that. You see, so many of us, so many of us love trying to be the Holy Spirit instead of trusting the Holy Spirit. 
That we want to be the convictors. We want to be the person that changes that person's heart. But we got to let the Holy Spirit do that. And so who in your life right now do you need to apologize to? And in time as they forgive you and as you maybe forgive them, I think you're going to see God rebuild the relationship. Last one, last one. Great friends draw each other out. I love this verse. Proverbs 25. The purposes of a person's heart are deep waters, but one who has insight draws them out. Purposes of a person's heart are deep waters, but one who has insight draws them out. Did you know this? And this is the beautiful thing about great friendships, and then we'll end here. Great friendships, potential to help you realize things about yourself that you didn't even know. Like real great friendships have the potential for you to learn something, for you to grow, for you to change, for you to discover something that you could not have discovered on your own. And so just like we learned in Genesis chapter 1, it is not good for humanity to be alone. We were created for friendship. Let's, as Christians that are in small groups and that are in friendships, choose to be great friends. Let's not settle. Let's be intentional. So here's what I want you to do. I want you to go back in your small group as soon as I pray. We're going to actually leave in silence so you guys can get off to your groups. You've got about 30 minutes or so. Take as long as you need. And I want you to discuss these ideas and talk about how are you as friends and what areas do you need to work on. Let me pray for us and then we're going to leave and add to your science. If you're brand new tonight, come up and talk to me. We'll get you in a small group. We have a small group ready for you. But let me pray. Heavenly Father, thank you, thank you, thank you for these, these tweets of wisdom that were written thousands and thousands of years ago and yet are still so relevant in the year 2016. God, I pray that you would make HSM a community of great friends, not a community of shallow friends, but a community of great friends that are committed, that are trustworthy, that address conflict, that make each other better, that use their words wisely, that forgive and rebuild, and that ultimately draw one another out. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.